And if you don't know, the past eight months or so have been a bit of a journey for me. As Shanna and I, we've been praying about the possibility of leading a campus, going from leading worship here to leading a location of Radiant Life in Marysville. And we've been praying, you know, is, is this what God wants us to do? And I don't know if you are aware of this, but change is difficult. Change, some, some of you are like, yeah, sure, change, let's go. But some of you are like, don't ever change anything in my life. Or I will have a problem. I will, I will freak out, right? Change is difficult. It is hard to leave something that you love doing for so long. And, and so Shanna and I, we've had to pray to see, is this something that God is calling us to do? And the question has never been, does God like it when I lead worship or like it for me to lead a campus, right? It's not about, is this right and this wrong? But sometimes things are just not, as, not black and white, right? Sometimes we have gray area decisions, the, the black and white decisions are easy. Should I read my Bible, yes or no? Yes, good, okay, good. Should, you know, should I steal from my company I work at, yes or no? No, right, right, easy. These are easy questions, but sometimes they're more in the gray area. You know, should I continue to live here in Westerville or should I move to Marysville? Should I, should I put my child in this school or, or this school? You know, should I take this new job? Should I stay where I am? There are gray area decisions in our life. How do I know what is right for me now. And we, we all need God's direction and guidance in our lives. I need God's direction every single day. But the question is not what is good, what is, what is black and white. It's knowing what's he in. What's he in? What's God in? That question is my title this morning. What's he in? And my goal is to help de develop our discernment to know what God is in and what God is not in. And we're going to look at the story of Elijah from 1 Kings. Before we get to the main passage, I want to set up with a kind of a good amount of context here. Elijah, he's a man that heard from God in really one of the darkest days in Israel's history. It was a time when King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, very wicked rulers, reigned over Israel. And Elijah, he had one of the most powerful victories when he dueled against Ahab and the prophets of Baal. And when the prophets of Baal, if you remember the story, they prayed and nothing happened. But when Elijah prayed, the fire of God came from heaven and the sacrifice was devoured. It was an incredible moment to witness and the people of Israel could see, actually see God respond to his servant Elijah. And you may remember this story and know about this moment in victory, but what happens after that? We're going to look at the story from 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to continue to set up some context here. The first eight verses I'm going to summarize. I will always encourage you to go and read it for yourself, but let me, let me paraphrase what happens. Elijah, again, he has one of the most groundbreaking victories in front of all Israel, seeing God show up with fire from heaven. And then they kill the prophets of Baal, rain falls on the land after a long drought, and then Jezebel sends Elijah, remember Queen Jezebel, the wicked ruler, she sends Elijah a death threat. And fear drove Elijah away from God's plan. It says specifically in the Bible that he was afraid, he arose, and he ran and fled for his life. He left his servant in Beersheba, and he went a day's journey into the wilderness. He comes to this broom tree, which is essentially a, a big bush with many uh, branches and twigs that would appropriately cover him and give him shade. 
And here in this moment is where Elijah first prays to God since the victory on Mount Carmel. It's his first interaction with God since the threat on his life. Elijah doesn't ask God in this moment for help or strength or advice. He actually asks God to take away his life. And this is not one of my points today, but I want to say this regardless. We should thank God for the prayers that he does answer, but also thank God for the prayers that he did not answer. You know what I'm saying? When we have prayers, sometimes we don't know any better, and we may pray something out of ignorance. We may pray something that we, if we had got that answer, it would not have been in our best interest. Thank God he knows better what, ans- what prayers to answer, and when like... Matt, 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 you don't want that. No, 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 no. You don't want that in your life. I'm not going to answer that prayer. Thank God for that. And when we're upset or we're irrational, we think we just know what the best way is, God gives us what we need, not what we want. And so there's no better place to go than God in those moments. There's no, be- there's no one more wiser to handle us in those moments of insecurity and childishness. And I love how God handles this. He doesn't respond to Elijah's childishness with a lecture, but with provision. God knows what he needs. He gives gives Elijah shelter, food, and hallelujah, a good nap. Come on, somebody. Who doesn't love a good nap? God knows when you're cranky and you just need a nap. Sometimes God's answer is as simple as his response to your physical needs. Your physical needs. We were created to need rest. We were created to need food in order for us to focus and to function. Anyone, you know what I'm talking about? I say all this because sometimes I feel like like you're fighting a war in life. There's a spiritual war. There's a spiritual battle. But you're fighting a war on all sides when really you're just fighting yourself. Because you're not giving yourself the, the rest or the food that you need. You're not addressing your physical needs. Sometimes you need less of a battle in your life and just more of a break. Sometimes you need less of a fight and just more of a fillet. Come on, somebody. Remember what Pastor Chris was talking about a few weeks ago? You just need a nice fillet mignon. You see, some of you were thinking in this battle you need a deliverance from the battle in that moment, but really you just need to surrender it to God. And so after this nap and this meal, Elijah, he makes his way to the Mount of God. And here we come to our main text for the morning. We're going to look at 1 Kings 19, and we're going to start in verse 9. 19.9. We're going to read the next five verses together. Here we go. It says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah responds, he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind. It tore the mountains, and it broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? The 
question I ask you again this morning is, what's he in? What's God in? Elijah, he comes to this cave. He sets up camp for the night, and it says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now, I want to point out something. There are so many similarities in this passage, but there are also subtle differences. In verses 9, 11, and 13, it says God is near to Elijah, but the language is slightly different. If you notice, it says, it says everything starts with, first of all, behold, which is just an exclamation of look. And then it says, but then God approaches Elijah three different ways. He says, first of all, he says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The second is the Lord passed by Elijah. And the third is there came a voice to Elijah. Now, the first one I want to look at is the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And you could read this for yourself. You can draw your own conclusions. I will never pass on an opportunity for you to read your Bible and draw your own conclusions. But I believe in this instance of God speaking to Elijah, he is speaking with an internal voice. I believe it's a prompting similar to how you or I would typically sense God moving and speaking in our lives. And it's, it's that simple but important prompting of an internal voice that God says to Elijah with this internal voice, what I feel like God says a lot to you and I, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Just hearing that question took me back to moments in my childhood of my parents asking me, what are you doing? I was asked this many times, but I will share one specific story that I remember. Um, in my early teens, tweens years, my dad gave me the opportunity to learn how to drive the riding mower, to go from a push mower to a riding mower. And, and so as I was learning, it wasn't a massive yard, but it, it would definitely save some time to go on the riding mower. And, and so my dad had one rule for me, one rule. He was very particular about his engines, as you should be with expensive equipment. He said, do not let the mower go on the road. Don't go off the curb. It was quite a bit of a drop. You will hurt the engine. You'll hurt the motor. Do not let the riding mower get on the road. I said, I got it, Dad. We're good. So I started driving. I'm like, don't, you know, don't go down on the road. I'm going back and forth, going just fine, having a good time, so much faster, so much bigger. I get close to the road, and I panicked as I was trying to turn the one way, and guess what happened? I went on the road. I panic. I'm like, oh, no, I got to figure this out. But my first reaction is, I got to get dad. I cannot do this on my own. So dad, dad, I go yell. He, he comes, he puts it off. You know, he has to kind of li gently lift it down on the road, drive it back into the, into the garage. He gives me this look and, and asks me to come into the garage away from the witnesses of the neighbors uh, of, of our area. And so I go gulping. Like He, he comes in, and my, my dad, he does not yell. He's not a yeller. But he gives you the look. You know what I'm saying? The look in his eyes, the intensity of a thousand suns, that just causes every fiber of your being to just shrink and shrivel. And he says, what were you doing? What were you thinking? I was like, Dad, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I just I got confused and I hit the wrong button. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me, you know. What are you doing? I don't know if you have stories like that, but thanks for letting me indulge in that story. Of illustrating God, speaking to Elijah, asking him, what are you doing? Elijah, he, in this moment, he's struggling, and he responds in verse 10 with saying, God, I've been jealous for you, but Israel has forsaken you. They've forgotten you. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. 
just like the earlier passage, Elijah is still struggling with fear. Earlier, he asked God to take his life. He says he's the only one left that follows God. Is that true? No. He's not the only one in Israel that believes in Yahweh. But at that moment, that's how he felt. And then it says in the presence of God, first of all, God says to him in his fear, he he responds to Elijah in his fear by saying, go out and stand on the mount before God. And then in the presence of God, it came in a great and strong wind. It tore the mountains. It broke in pieces the rocks, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Remember, after the earthquake, a fire, the Lord was not in the fire. But you see, I think it was intentional. Hear me, that God brought phenomenons in front of Elijah that God was not in. Because we have to know what God is not in is just as important to distinguish as what God is in. I believe it's just as important as disciples of Jesus to be able to decipher what is not from God. And this is one of the trickiest things to learn and be aware of. And it just takes time learning to know what God's voice sounds like. But sometimes we're so desperate to get an answer from God that we get ahead of his timetable. We'll try to outrun God's timing. And we're looking for a billboard sign from it. And if we're not careful, we'll get caught up looking for a spectacle instead of waiting in the stillness. And if you're taking notes this morning, and you should because a note taker is a world changer, my first point this morning is, it's not just about a spectacle. He's in the stillness. Not just about a spectacle. Notice I say not just about a spectacle, because God does in fact work in spectacles and phenomenons. But if that is all our attention is focused on and we neglect our quiet time with the Lord, we might miss his subtle prompting. A few years ago, Pastor Chris, as the youth pastor, he took a group of our youth to to El Salvador. And I went as one of the youth leaders. And with our, our youth group, we had other students around the state joining us heading down to El Salvador. And we went to King's Castle and we were doing outreaches in There was a student from another church that came with us. And in that time in his life, he was seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I thought this was relevant with Pentecost service last week. And I remember one night we were in the prayer tower at King's Castle. And we were praying for different needs and, you know, just people getting filled up, ready to go and and, and witness and be part of this outreach. And this man, he was praying, the student, he was praying to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We took some time to pray for him. And as a group gathered and we began to pray, he began slowly to, to just kind of mumble, you know, as you start. And just slowly mumble. We're like, that's it, you know, keep going, keep going, you're doing great, keep praying. He, he, he stayed at about that volume for the rest of the time and we're excited for him. And as we're leaving and we're heading back to our dorm to the night, I remember him saying, yeah, I just didn't get it tonight. I'm like, what, what do you you don't think you got it? He's like, yeah, I just, I don't know, what, I don't know why, I just don't get it. I was like, I could literally hear you. Like, it's, you, you did exactly what the Bible says. Like, what do you mean you didn't get it? I, I could hear you with my voice. He's like, yeah, I just, he just kept saying, I, I didn't get it. I don't, I don't have it. And, and I'm speculating here, but I think the reason he felt like he couldn't receive it is that he was waiting and expecting a spectacle to take place in order to get something. And if there was no spectacle, 
you know, if he didn't see fire over our heads or he didn't hear the audible voice of God, if something like that didn't happen, then he did not get it. If there was not some sort of sensation, then he did not receive it. And, and we know that God can move in the spectacle. He can cause an earthquake or a fire or wind to get our attention, and he will do that. But if we are only looking for him in the spectacle, then we will most definitely miss him in the stillness. It's not just about spectacles. And, and listen, it is hard to be still. We live in a culture and a life right now, it is hard to be still. You've got kids all around you. You have videos on the screen all the time. I have podcasts in my ear all the time. It is hard to be still right now in our life. But there's something about solitude and silence and cutting away distractions that gives God an opportunity to speak. Solitude will elevate your discernment. Solitude will elevate your discernment. Elijah had to get away from it all. He even left his servant back in Beersheba. Remember it says after the fire came a low whisper. Another way of saying it was a, a thin voice. The smallest sound cannot be heard amongst the noise. Be intentional to take time in the stillness. When Elijah heard the gentle whisper, he, he, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave you see, it was more than a difference of a spectacle and the stillness. Elijah was looking for a particular way for God to speak. This Mount, Mount Horeb had been previously known for a place of encounter with God. If you remember, it's where Moses went and encountered God as, as he heard him speak through a burning bush. And for Elijah, just before this mountaintop experience, Elijah had seen God move in a big way through big signs. Elijah is seeking a big sign because he had just seen God move through a large fire on Mount Carmel, followed by a large rainstorm that broke a drought for an entire nation. And I wonder if through all these signs that Elijah began to think in order for God to speak, it had to be through a certain method. I wonder if sometimes we shrink God down to moving through just one or two avenues, and if he doesn't work or speak through that way, then we think he's not speaking at all. So the second thing I want you to hear from me this morning is it's not about a method. He's in a moment. It's not about a method. The method in which God contacts you can and absolutely will change. And it's good to take time at the beginning of your day or the end of your day. But if we neglect him the other 20 hours of the day, we will definitely miss him when he speaks to us. It's not about a method. Think about the variety of ways that God spoke to people in the Bible. If God spoke to people multiple times through the use of a burning bush, I would be out on the front of my lawn with a gas can burning one of Shanna's bushes to try to hear from God. Much to her dismay. If God spoke to people in the Bible multiple times using a camel, how many, or a, I'm sorry, a donkey, how many of us would be proud owners of a donkey today waiting to hear God? Like, come on, donkey, time for you to speak to me. Sounds like a Shrek quote, but it, that's not what I was going for. If Jesus healed people multiple, multiple times using spit and clay, these altars would have buckets of mud and spit in order for us to pray for people to get healed. And thank God that's not the case, because that's disgusting. 
But God speaks to us through multiple different ways. Hearing from God has never been formulaic. Hearing from God has never been predictable. We don't serve a predictable God, am I right? Is it good to have a discipline of meeting with God at the same time each day? Absolutely. But just like you can't limit God to speak only through a spectacle, you cannot limit him to speak through a certain method. It's the moments in your day that you set aside in your car commuting to and from work to hear from God. It's those moments on your lunch break. It's those moments with your children that you are intentional to say, let's take a moment and let's talk about Jesus together. It's about those moments in our lives where we push the pause button and we say, God, what are you in right now? Those moments, these moments, these elevate our discernment. I think Elijah, he got caught up in the method. So God had to bring these methods of the earthquake and the wind and the fire and pass it before God, Elijah and specifically show him that he was not in them. He was in a new moment for Elijah. A moment with God, an encounter with God, we know it changes everything. You are probably here this morning because you've had a moment, you've had an encounter with God. And you can be filled with the knowledge of God and his goodness, and, and that's powerful. But a moment with God makes that knowledge come alive in us. It's not about a method. He's in a moment. And once Elijah heard the voice of God, he stepped out of the cave. And God asked him a second time. Remember, he said a second time, what are you doing here, Elijah? Let's see how Elijah responds this second time. In verse 14, let's read it. He said, I've been je very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Wait, Elijah says the exact same thing. Did you read that? In verses 10 and 14, his response is the same thing. He says the same thing in the cave to God as he does outside of the cave. Elijah has felt the presence of God. He's seen a mighty wind strong enough to break rocks. He's felt an earthquake that's shaken the foundation of the earth. He's felt a great fire. He's heard the audible voice of God. But did Elijah's response change? No. Did his perspective change? No. What is happening? Elijah is stuck in what I would call a worry loop. Have you ever experienced a, a worry loop, uh, a doubt cycle, whatever you call it? It's, it's when there's a feeling of anxiety that rises in us and we get the same thoughts over and over and over again. I don't know how I'm going to keep my job. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills this month. I don't know how I'm going to get my kid to college. I don't know how. I don't know if. If we're not careful, that fear can cripple us. It can shut us down. It can mess you up. It's amazing that we can know what God is in and we can still be paralyzed with fear. But what happens here? What does God do? I want to show you how God unlocks this worry loop. And I know for me it has helped me in overcoming fear and doubt in my life. I want to specifically point out what God said to Elijah. The last two verses of our text. Worship team, you can come join me. It says in verses 15 and 16. The Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. 
And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Remember, Elijah, he says the same thing in response to God's questions both times. In verses 10 and 14. And in verses 11 and 15, God responds. What is the first word that God says on both occasions to Elijah? The first word is go. First he says go out, and then he says go return. There are times when we have to stop in the silence and hear God and find out what he's in. There are moments when we have to disregard the method that he speaks and instead focus on the moment he's inviting us into. But there are also times where that moment with God can actually turn into introspection of ourselves. And we no longer benefit from the silence. And in in fact, in order to break through that worry loop that has pried its way into your minds, you cannot remain any longer where you are. The whole reason for getting alone with God And determining what he is in is not to remain where we are, but then to respond to his direction. The last point as we close this morning, it's not about remaining. He's in the responding. Just like you cannot worry and worship at the same time, you cannot be anxious and be advancing at the same time. I'm preaching to someone today that has felt trapped and held back because what started, what started as a time of rest and healing and hearing from God has now turned into being stuck and stagnant. And I feel like God brought me here today to tell you it's now time for you to respond. He's calling you up and he's calling you out of the cave. You can't remain. You have to respond. The first command of go that God gave Elijah moved him forwards into an encounter with him. But the second command moved Elijah from that encounter back to the world that first hurt him. The place that damaged Elijah caused him to flee is the same place that God was sending him back. But Elijah now had an assignment. It's so interesting to me that God gave Elijah a threefold task to fulfill. Elijah was told to anoint an international leader, a national leader, and a spiritual leader. Some commentaries talk about the three different realms that he was called to anoint in, the realms of international politics, national affairs, and the spiritual realm. I don't know what specific task God is asking you to fulfill in your life, but I believe you are called and you are equipped to glorify God in the leadership at your workplace, in the leadership of your household, and in your personal spiritual leadership over yourself. We can't remain where we are. We have to respond. Because when we've taken time to hear from God and we respond to him, the plans of our God cannot be stopped. Amen? Come on, when we take time to hear from him in his voice, and we hear what task he has for us to fulfill, and we move forward in that, his plans cannot be be stopped. He cannot be thwarted in what our God does. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Listen to me. If the enemy cannot stop you from slowing down to hear from God, he will try to stop you from getting back up and going on your way to your assignment. 
I asked you again this morning, what is God in for your life? What's he in? Have you taken time in the stillness? Have you waited in a moment with God? What's God in? Not, not what's your pride in, not what's your ambition in, not what is the great American dream for your life. No, what is God in? Because what he's in, it cannot be stopped. And he gives us strength to go back out. We can't remain, we have to respond. And I think it would be hypocritical of me to tell you all this and not give you a moment this morning to have a moment with God and encounter him. If you have time today, we're not going to take long. This isn't going to be a long Pentecost service type of thing. But I want us to take a moment, would you, with me to let God speak over us. And the worship team, they're going, to, they're going to sing and they're going to play. And I'm going to ask something specific of you. I'm going to ask you to come join me at the front and stand or sit or kneel to hear from God. You may ask, why, Matt? Why are we always pushing people to the front? Can't, can't God speak to me right where I am in the comfort of my, of my seat? Yes, he can. Absolutely. God can do anything. But there's something about a change in physical posture that can bring about a change in our discernment of his voice. Remember, God asked Elijah the same question twice. And the only distinction between the questions and the commands that followed was Elijah's physical posture. The first instance, Elijah was in the cave. The second instance, Elijah had wrapped his face in his cloak, had wrapped his face uh, with a cloak. It was a way of, of showing reverence and awe before God. It was a way of humbling himself before the Lord, and then he stepped out of the cave. I ask you this morning, would you join me in hearing from God and stepping out of the cave? Feel free to come as I pray, and then we're just going to take a few moments to let God speak to us before we leave this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. We invite you into this moment. Specifically, speak to us, God. We take a moment. It's not about the spectacles of our life. It's not about the methods that you talk to us. It's about a moment with, with you, God. And we ask that we don't want to just stay here. You've got a plan for each and every person in this room. I ask that you would help us to respond to you, God. Respond to your goodness, knowing that you only have the best plans for us, God. So we take a moment. We say, here we are. We are available this morning. Speak to us and send us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's worship. I feel like God was specifically saying that for some of you, there's a feeling <clears throat> that the grace of God is not strong enough for the weakness in your life. I don't know if there's someone here that feels like, Matt, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. And you're right, I don't. But the grace of God, I know, is greater than anything that you've faced in your life. The Bible says that God's kindness leads to repentance, leads to forgiveness. All it takes is a moment of forgiveness and repentance, turning to God, and the past is now further away in the past, and there's a bright future through Jesus Christ. I encourage you as we leave today, take a moment. Don't be so caught up in the spectacle of what could be, and take time in the stillness. I encourage you today, take time to hear from God but don't stay there because he's got a plan for you. He needs you to respond to his goodness. He needs you to respond to the tasks that he has set for you.
God, I pray one more time for us as we leave. Thank you for this moment. I, I believe that you have spoken to some people and you will continue to speak. Help us to be willing to continue to listen to your voice. Help us to continue to not look for a method, but look for a moment with you, God. And we want to respond, God. Speak to us so that we can respond. We're not going to be stuck anymore. We're not going to be fearful anymore. You're going to break the worry loop in our lives. Elevate our level of discernment. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, all God's people said, amen. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. And be careful what you talk about so that you can savor the presence of Jesus in your life. I hope you have an amazing Memorial Day weekend. Thank you for being here. God bless you. We hope to see you again soon.